Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halix. And we are here with our tea, coming to you from our respective little nests, our cozy little spots as we continue to shelter in place, along with much of the world. And this week, we're going to talk to each other. We actually haven't had, I mean, Luca and I are good friends in real life, and we usually will see each other once or twice a week, pretty frequently. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not by a long shot. And um, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I've. It's astonishing to me how busy and overwhelmed I can get when I'm supposed to not be actually doing anything. Uh, yes. So I haven't been very good at keeping in close contact with Luca, but that means that today we get to have a really fresh conversation, not only with each other, but with you, to share with you about what's most on our minds, what's most on our hearts. So, uh, oh, and um, we are recording this ahead of time via Zoom, uh, since this is what we need to do, since we're not able to go up into the studio at SFU just yet. Um, and what that means is that occasionally there might be a few little blips and gleeps and glurps as uh, the internet either works with us or against us. So we apologize in advance if we haven't managed to catch and edit all those things out by the time you're listening to us. So, Luca, what, why don't you lead us into what's, what you were suggesting is our main focus for today? Well, I've had several interesting conversations this week about technology, and not about necessarily the technology itself, but about um, how we as human beings um, use the technology and act and react with it. So my first conversation was with, um, the guy uh, uh, who introduced me to the internet in the first place, and I got in on this pretty early, in early days. It was in 1993, the latter half of 1993, I was in Scotland. I was living um, on the edges of an intentional spiritual, non-denominational spiritual community called Fintorn, which is in the highlands of Scotland, which is way north, way north. So the closest major city is Inverness. Um, so I was living about an hour's drive east of Inverness. And uh, this guy, um, Stefan, was um, setting up the internet for the Fintorn Foundation. And when I arrived there, I didn't have any work. And so I was introduced to him, and he needed somebody to help him to set all of this up for the foundation. So they were setting up a domain name and um, and servers and all of that, which I didn't even know the words for it in those days. That was back in the days when, when you said to somebody, do you have an email address? They'd say, what's email? So he was he was setting all of this up, and we needed to explain to the community, which was, you know, in situ about 350 people, um, about what this was, this this beast called the internet, and what it could do, and why they might want to be connected to it. And he was a he was a Mac developer, 
so he had all these little tiny, the old fashioned Mac Lisa's little, the little boxes with the mouse. <laughs> um, he was, he was selling them to the foundation and the foundation had them scattered around and people had to learn to use that. And then they had to learn how to connect it via dial up to the <laughs> internet. <laughs> and so they didn't really understand what they were doing. So we were explaining it to them. Now he's an ethical guy. He, he eats, sleeps, drinks, breathes ethics, like long-term green, green party member, like respects the environment, all of that kind of thing. So he was running these wires up and down the telephone poles because <laughs> they were there already. He wasn't going to go into the environment and put something else in that wasn't already there. So the, the Fintorn Foundation was a seminar center. And among other things, they, so people would come in from all over the world to listen to these, to participate in these week long, usually week long seminars and, and conferences. So in those days, um, they didn't even have a newsletter that went out to the whole of the rest of the world. It was still, it was still on paper. They would produce this thing on paper and then they would send it out snail mail to these people all over the world. You can imagine that this was slow and clunky. But these people were passionately connected. So it, it didn't, it didn't feel slow and clunky to us then. That was all no, we knew. No, absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> so, so now fast forward, um, more than 25 years and they now, they now broadcast their conferences live. They stream them live online. They've, they've got online newsletters. They have, they have a, a different, a team of people who are getting up every morning and going out with their, with their, um, smartphones and recording the countryside around there so that the people who were living there once and who miss all of that and who found it calming and centering and grounding, they're, they're able to participate in this live by, by just, just listening on their smartphone. So, so we have a spiritual connection now through technology. You can, you can participate in a meditation that way. But we can, we also have, as you've been experiencing this week, um, hackers who are hacking into people's websites for no other reason than that they can and disrupting them and creating days and days worth of work for you while you get whatever bug they put into your system out of the system. So in the meantime, all the people who were using your server, their websites weren't working and just, just because they could. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so the thing that's coming to me at the moment, and then the other thing I was dealing with is the company that provides the service for my smartphone where my contract, where I was buying my smartphone, was up in November. So instead of the price then going down, because it was including the price of the, of the phone, instead of it going down in November when it came to the end of when it was paid for, they don't tell you that. And they have under the CRTC regulations for radio and television and, and all communications, they have no ob legal obligation to let me know when it happens, it's my job to go to them and say, my phone is now paid for as if they didn't know, right? They know exactly when this contract is up and, and tell them to stop charging me for it. So what they send me instead is emails about maybe I'd like to buy a new phone. 
And I'm thinking, well, my phone's only two years old. It still functions fine. I don't need a new phone. So, so I dismiss those. And, and that's all I'm going to get from them. So I went back to them yesterday and I said to them, my phone's been paid for for five months now. How come you're still charging me for it? So I had this guy on the phone and I'm trying to ask him why this has happened. He won't answer it except to say that, um, it's not their responsibility to let, to let anybody know. We don't let people know, he said, but now that you have me on the phone, I can change that for you. Change that for me means with this, with a plan that does the same thing, I'm now only paying $20 a month less. And we have the highest cell phone rates in the world in our country, and we invented the telephone. <laughs> we invented the telephone. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Alexander Graham Bell. So, I mean, we didn't invent the smartphone, but we invented the <laughs> telephone. So, so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, yes, w- they are within the letter of the law to do that. They, I have no recourse to get that money back again. There's no refund. And they're saying that I'm only paying $20 a month to buy my phone and that the other $75 is for the service of providing me with the telephone signal. Mm -hmm. Now I know there's something wrong with this. They may be legally, they may be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So this brings me to the whole idea of the coronavirus. If this is indeed a mechanism on this planet for shifting our paradigm, and we're going to come out of this again at the other end, hopefully we're going to come out of this having shifted something so major that our lives are going to be different now then what, to me, what needs to shift is the systems. It's not just, you know, can we buy more things online? But it's, have we realized yet that we don't need all these things? And if we're going to have a world that is going to be aided by technology, because by the time we come out of this, all of us are going to be more familiar with working online, with online teleconferencing and and all of the, pieces that technology allows us, which is why I started with this whole idea of, of you know, how far we've come since I learned about the internet, the internet in 1993 when nobody knew what it was. And it took hours to download information from the internet. I mean, you just, you set it up and there was this little dog <laughs> that was called Fetch and he, and he ran across the screen of your computer (laughs) and it was, you know, you went away and had a coffee for two hours or a beer or whatever. And you came back two hours later and maybe the information that you needed was downloaded. And you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't download more than one thing at a time. There was no possible way. And your phone line was tied up while you did that because you were either on the phone or you were on the computer. Like you couldn't be on both. Yeah. And if somebody picked up, the phone while your computer was connected to it. It just interrupted everything and you have to start again. So we had, so, so we have come so far technologically, but I want to know how, have our, have our ethics stayed up with this Mm. and our laws? Because if the biggest technology companies are the biggest political contributors in terms of campaign funds, then, and the biggest uh, that they have the most money to throw at lobbying. Then how do we, where's the mechanism there for making sure that 
they don't just feather their own nests, but that they're doing things that are actually healthiest for our communities and our society as a whole. Mm -hmm. So how much pressure had to be brought to bear on Apple before, before they started recycling um, their electronic equipment at the end of its lifetime. If they want to sell me a new phone every two years, then what's happening to the old phone at the end of that? And are there people sitting in villages by the ocean side in India taking these phones apart where nobody cares about and there are no laws to protect them from the, from the environmental hazards of what are in these phones? And you can start that from the other end as well, because when the phones are made, the constant demand that has been created, the consumer cycle around smartphones and the elements that are needed to make them are connected yes. with child labor. They're connected yes. with war. They're connected yes. with um, rape and violence in yep. African nations. Yep. And the direct link is, is to the consumer cycle. And so you're really aiming at the planned obsolescence. I hear yes. you looking at that, right? And we have been yes. seeing a lot of things coming through in the, I've been noticing a lot of articles over the last year, especially over right to repair legislation. Well, we had, the, who was it? Phone blocks. We had one of the very mm -hmm. early guests on our show was a guy. So what phone blocks was doing was, was making sure that there were, that phones were designed in component pieces that could be swapped out. So if you, if you, uh, developed a component that had a much, that was much faster, then you could take that component out and replace it with the faster one, or you could, you could put a new battery in or whatever. So you wouldn't have to replace the whole shell of the thing. Now, I don't, I don't know what happened to him. It might be really interesting for us to get in touch with him again. I know that but, I did some follow up to check to see, and I know that their project, yeah. um, they shifted gears in that they weren't getting what they needed to be able to pr promote and produce the, their vision themselves. And so I think they were yeah. taking their knowledge and pouring it into other companies that were, that were getting farther ahead. Yeah. But the vision, the vision holds true. We still yes. need this. Right. And you know, as soon as you end up in a situation like we, most of us in the world are, where you're, you need to stay home, you start making different choices. I mean, we can, we can see this not just in how we consume, but in terms of the fact that our emergency rooms are empty. Yes. And that's because we're second guessing ourselves. Do we yeah. really need to go? Yeah. What is the cost of us going if we could catch mm -hmm. COVID-19? So yeah. in that way, we're also now, some of it is internal choice. Some of it is imposed externally. Um, yeah. There's places such as if you want to order something online because you don't want to go to a store, right now, essential needs, I am assuming this means groceries or things that just help things running around the house, those are being delivered first. Other orders are being pumped to the end. Uh, maybe like a month away. And I mean, in France, they've now passed legislation that has upheld an appeal where Amazon is no longer allowed to even process the orders for uh, non-essential goods. So we're needing to reevaluate what do we really need? And it's really interesting because I'm noticing I'm buying different things. 
some things that I maybe didn't buy because I was too busy to take care of the projects in my house. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I went out and got paintbrushes <laughs> and things like that. So yeah. maybe that was a new purchase, mm-hmm. but yes. at the same time, um, that was me repairing something. That was me yes. fixing up something. Um, yes. I've pulled out the bre- bread maker. I've pulled out um, mm. my all the recipe books. People are remembering or learning mm. for the first time mm. even how to cook from scratch. We've become so reliant on the mm. pre-prepared meals, grabbing yeah. takeout. Well, we're also using, we're using the um, computer now to give ourselves cooking lessons and yeah. to share recipes. So, so you can demonstrate. So we had um, Barb McMahon on from Sprouting Chefs, and she's teaching people how to make healthy meals online, teaching children how to make healthy meals online, and she's now moved it into a live session. So we can take pieces that we were already doing and move it into that realm so that we can do those things more easily, like if you have to do repairs in your house and you don't know how to do them. There's people out there who are showing you, how to how to do that mm-hmm. for those people who are just joining us now um you're listening to essential conversations on cjsf.ca um with rebecca and luca uh, 90.1 fm mm-hmm. and we're talking today about um about computers and technology and about the ethics and the and the thinking and the society and every the and community how, that goes on around that and the consciousness that is that is growing right now which is who do we want to be? How do we want to be? This is has has forced a pause in which we're seeing our impacts in the world on so many levels. And I've noticed that there are some countries that are beginning to step up with legislation saying, no, we're not going to go back. We're going to use this as the springboard. We're going to go forward. We're going to roll out the environmental measures that have been sort of slowly been creeping to the forefront, but we're going to just pull them through now. I love hearing that. It's like, you know what? Now's the time. It's just here. Let's, let's do this thing. I'm really curious about what will happen in Canada, especially around uh, oil and the pipelines that were such a contentious issue and divide. I mean, we're in BC, so BC has a pretty strong voice about what we do not want around that. And yet the rest of the country seem to have a, a different voice. That's general generalizations, but yeah. um, with the price of oil that has completely bottomed out and the um, questioning of infrastructure and what are we really doing anyways, it's definitely a ripe time for asking that question. And when it comes to, say, the number of people that have had to shift to work from home, I don't know if you've been noticing this too, Luca, but there's been so many articles, uh, bits of news coming out lately, where there's so many people who love the working from home, and there's so many people who can't stand it and can't do it, but they might have thought they liked it. And mm-hmm. I've, <laughs> I've been paying pretty close attention to this. Um, the divide is pretty much falling down the line between those who have kids at home and those who don't, which makes a lot of sense to me. As a mom, my kids are grown up. Uh, my oldest is now working full-time still. He's in a, considered an essential service. My my younger son is uh, still in school, of course, but school is now being shifted to being online. But this is really starting to beg the question of what kind of infrastructures do we have at home? What kind of privileged points do people have that either enable them or hinder them? in working from various locations. Um, 
I've heard people saying that they're working longer hours now that they're at home and they're more accessible. This resonates for me. I think you too, Luca, as self-employed people, we don't have the work hours of people who go into an office and work a nine to five. Part of that is why I work for myself, to be honest. And so that's not necessarily a negative. But for those who've had that structure and now the structure has dissolved and now work and home are hopelessly enmeshed and it's leading to overwhelm. We're discovering a different source of overwhelm where our boundaries have dissolved. And it certainly begs the question of what is healthy? How do we hold new boundaries? How to create new boundaries? And what do we really want going forward? I hear a lot of people saying they want the option of being able to work from home. Some people like me and a lot, probably a lot of introverts who have the space, who have the, the segregation, you could say that they're able to hold it themselves, really love the freedom of working from home. It really is a boon to their spirits and to their mental health, their physical health, etc. But there are definitely a lot of people for whom it is the reverse. For those who are needing to... <laughs> Try to chuckle so many things quite literally at the well, same time. Well, and we work in services, right? Um, if you're working in manufacturing, you can't do this. Yeah, so if you have a manufacturing based economy, then that economy can't work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe there are some pieces that can be done from home. Um, there's maybe there's some cottage industry that could be involved and maybe, maybe it's about where you get your energy from. Maybe it's about how you treat your workers. Um, uh, so like I, I was in Bulgaria in the mid nineties and there was a, a little tiny town on the Northern border of, uh, where the, the, the border between Bulgaria and Romania is a river the Danube river. And on the river was a, was a power plant and the power plant was built by the Russians and built with all kinds of cost cutting that went on illegal cost cutting and so this place was was leaking radiation all over the place and so a lot of the people who'd been working in that uh, power plant for the the previous because it had been there for 25 years at that point and Bulgaria was then free so they had they were out from under the communist rule but they were still dealing with the old infrastructure. Those people were getting leukemia and there was no health safety net for them getting leukemia. And it was, they were, they were dying. The people who were working in the plant had these little um, things that they pinned to their jackets that told them how much radiation they'd been exposed to. And when it started to approach the danger zone, then they couldn't go to work. Now this was, but this was only for the office workers. Mm. Nobody else had, well, I don't know about anybody else because I wasn't allowed in there. <laughs> the guy, I was, I was visiting with a guy who had been brought in by the European bank to oversee the purchasing of all the materials that would go into revamping this place because he couldn't be bribed. And so, they they wanted to make sure that the materials weren't being replaced with substandard materials so that the profit could be skimmed off the top or the difference could be skimmed off the top. But the technology, so we had one source of technology that was creating the disease and we had another form of technology that was helping people to determine when it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. But it's technology, right? It's all, um, it doesn't matter if it's how many hours do I work if I'm working from home. 
and what technology do I need in order to be able to do that? And what am I going to repair and what am I going to replace? Do I have to have all the latest toys and all the latest bells and whistles? It might be, do I, do I drive to get to work or how do I get to work or how far do I travel to get to work? But it also may be, um, how, what are our laws saying about the technology and about our, our, our moral and legal responsibilities around the technology? Um, it might be, um, how, how do we, how do we ensure that people are not in dangerous situations? as a result of the technology that we're using. It, right. Along you know, those, it comes out in so many different areas. Yeah. And along those lines, um, it makes me think of uh, how technology is now being discussed as a means of being able to, to track and support ostensibly to support the um, quarantining of people yep. or the notification of people who have been exposed to COVID-19. But yes. this of course brings up the question of, well, if you're, double-edged sword. People, mm-hmm, if you're tracking people, what privacy has now been voluntarily given up or non-voluntarily just appropriated by the government? And what does this yep. look like on the other side of the pandemic? And so yep. very important questions. I really appreciate the people who are highlighting that because my Me first, too. my first gut response when I hear that is, Oh, that's brilliant. What an easy way of making sure that people are informed and et cetera. And then I realize, yeah, but that, that point of, oh, I mean, it, it's so funny because I, it's, it's easy enough for me to say, oh, I don't care if anybody tracks me. I've got nothing to hide. But that's completely missing the point. Yeah. It's completely missing the point. We, it, 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 when you have that kind of access to information without oversight, without accountability, it is abused. This is something we can see yeah. all the way through history. And you can, you can also say it will be abused. Yeah. So what are the penalties in place? If they can just pay a fine if they abuse it. Yeah. They're and making the bottom, so much money. Why wouldn't they pay the fine and keep right on doing it? Right. That's or, not a deterrent. Yeah. And I mean, I hear you coming from the, the point of view of say the, the, the large companies that are managing this, but also the government, right? If the government's in charge well, of making the laws. Yes. And the truth yeah. is it's yeah. been this way for a decade or two. Our laws cannot have not been keeping up, not by a no. long shot no. with the ways in which technology has equipped and enabled crime yeah. and um, othering uh, and, and magnification of the marginalization of folks. Now, yeah. along those lines, you know what? I'm going to hold this idea and I'm going to pause and we're going to take a song right here. Yes, because we need a on. little lightning. We do need a little lightness. Lightening, not not lightning as in thunder <laughs> and lightning, but but a lightening of the atmosphere as we discuss all of this. Because not only is this a problem challenge but we but we do have the intelligence the creativity and the resources to deal with this Mm. i i'm convinced of it yeah so Um, let's put the light back in yeah i'm gonna suggest that we take a listen to spring breeze by diane coffee it's an epic song that's got all the angst and the joy and the quietness and everything. And I'm kind of feeling that mix of of emotions right now. So uh, Luca and I picked our songs today. We decided instead of trying to find ones that actually matched our theme, which is how we usually approach finding songs for our shows. If we're just talking to each other, uh, we decided just to pick songs that just are really making us feel happy or inspired right now. So spring breeds is something that I came across randomly 
And I, it just, it brings me delight. So I hope that it brings you delight too. So we'll pause for this Spring Breeze by Diane Coffey. We'll be back in, uh, to join you in just a few minutes. Ooh, how does it Thank you. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Essential Conversations on 90.1 FM CJSF. We are broadcasting to you from SFU Mountain, although Luca and I are currently actually quietly ensconced in our home, sheltering in place as we record this for you. Uh, either way, no matter where we sit our behinds, we are always on the unceded ancestral territory of the Squamish, the Musqueam, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Coquitlam when we are here in this Vancouver area. And we do want to take a moment to acknowledge that and that as settlers, uh, both Luca and I are constantly investing time, attention, and effort into understanding what does that mean? What, how does this relate to our life? How does it relate to the First Nation communities that are around us, whose land we are on, um, and not by their choice? And yet here we are. How do we go forward? And I feel like that might actually be a good... To, oh, I should mention that we were just finished listening to Spring Breathes by Diane Coffey. Uh, an epic, rollicking, all-over-the-place kind of tune. I love the, the name of it, though, Spring Breeze. It feels like that's what's happening right now. As we all slow down, we're starting to really catch the pulse of Mother Nature. I noticed the other day, relating to spring, just take a moment to say this, that uh, I have banana plants that I've banana trees that have been growing for a few years in my house and I'm able to just cut them down, wrap them up over the winter, and then they have sprung back. This is the second year that they should spring back. And I was worried because I wasn't seeing them poke up and everything else is blossoming around my yard. And I thought, oh no, did they die this year? Even though it was quite a mild winter. But I went and pulled things around, back around them and discovered, no, no, they're there. They're coming back. And it helped me understand that time has slowed down so much. Even though I'm feeling like things are going fast, I've personally felt like a rat in a, in a, <laughs> in a wheel who's You're running around. on its wheel. Mm-hmm. The hamster is a hamster wheel. <laughs> We're mixing exactly. Our That's here. kind of yeah. how I felt lately. But, um, in terms of what, how time would normally be passing with me out and about every day, taking the kids to school, coming back, doing all of these things. It's actually still moving slow. And so we're not as far into spring as I feel like we are. And, oh, man, just the fascinatingness of how time changes with our our relation to it. So back to what we were talking about before. Just before we took a break, we were speaking about um, – our reliance on technology, the advances on technology, its implications and supports for how we are being and coping these days in a shelter at home uh, situation, how it state keeps us connected, how it's serving us, uh, how it can intervene in terms of tracking and informing people if it comes to we've been exposed to the virus. But then we were starting to, to dig in a little bit around how might it be exacerbating issues that are already present in society? How might it be driving, driving a wedge in or highlighting perhaps the gaps? And I think one of the things that uh, might be good to, to touch in on today is the fact that there's a lot of uh, people who are shining a, a spotlight on our efforts to have children connect online for school is beginning to help us realize, for those who are paying attention, not all kids have access to computers and internet at home. And for those of us that have it and have had it perhaps for so long, we forget that there are people, there are families that do not have that access. Or 
that have access that is limited, say, if they live in rural areas where there isn't the same kind of high-speed internet that we've got when we're located in urban centers. It's just simply not there. The infrastructure is not there. We've also got situations where people can't afford to pay for more than a minimal amount of content connectivity. And so if you've got, as you said before, you're referring to the companies with their big expensive plans. And in this country where it's so expensive, if you have uh, data caps, on anything, on your phone, on your internet, at home, then you may not be able to participate in some of the activities that are expected and required of you for school, for work, etc. And this only drives things farther apart. It means those individuals have less access then to the things that you're trying to make available online. There is so much that is available there, but if you don't have access to it, this is now becoming um, an a barrier to equality and a barrier to opportunity. And I've seen people calling for uh, internet as a public right, public right of access. And I would love to see that on the other side of, of what we're going through right now or through the process of it, that we start to address that. And I think schools are, but schools can't do it alone. It needs to be government. It needs to be community wide. I think that's so important. And then, then as we extrapolate from that is learning online. It, it's a very, it's a very, um, in many ways, a very linear way of learning and it may not suit everybody's learning needs. So that's, that's another piece that, um, we're, we're having, and I think people are experimenting with it, but that's not necessarily all in the mainstream yet. Um, is how we use this as a as a means of educating or or of working. But the other thing that I was thinking about is if you um, grow up in a family that has not had access to technology, and you're a child and you're on the technology, and your parents don't understand it enough to supervise it, then you are as a child more at risk on that on that technology than you would be um, in, in terms of, you know, predators or in terms of, um, uh, you, you know, the, the kids just being raised by a computer uh, because that's if the parents are working all the time. Um, and that often happens in families where there isn't a lot of income. They're working every hour God gave them at a lower rate of pay in order to be able to put food on the table. It leaves the kids vulnerable to the technology. So if anybody's going to take advantage of those kids, those kids are then sitting ducks if they have the technology. Yeah. Um, so, so we're dealing with, with multiple issues around this. Um, fairness being one of them, safety being another one. Um, and, and so what do we, what do we do with this? And, and I don't know that you can, I was talking to somebody about this the other day that we're trying to put structures in place that are helpful, that are, um, that, that guard people's basic rights, that, uh, keep them, that keep them safe. But can you, and I, and we were talking about how the law is, is reactive and not proactive. So we don't make, we don't change legislation about anything until it's passed due to be changed. And it takes a huge amount of lobbying and work and, and time, blood, sweat, tears, money, everything to be able to change it. By the time it gets changed, 
the thing that we're changing it for is often obsolete, uh, obsolete <laughs> already, right? Yeah. Because it is the nature of our world, not just technologically, but in all ways that it's changing so quickly that, that really we're, when you talk about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, I think we're having to address things now that, that are about the spirit of the law. Yeah. What are, what are, are our intentions? And I think when we look at, um, the human rights code, the code itself addresses our intentions. The legislation around it, the act addresses how we apply that. Right. What are the rules around applying it? But you've right. got to have the, um, I mean, this may be the constitution. It may be, um, you know, what is it that, that we set out as our values as a society? Not just as a country, but now we have to have how we do it globally. Part of that um, is, is t- takes place on international levels um, when we have in that international accords like the Kyoto Accord that doesn't have any teeth. Um, mm-hmm. But but it, you know this is a when I say that the systems need to change, these are the systems. Mm-hmm. It's it's what happens around money because right now you can't you can't the stores aren't taking cash. Well, so what if you don't have a bank account that allows you to pay for things um, electronically? Like what happens if you don't have that? Then can you just not buy things? Mm-hmm. Um, or in situations say. Where you've got, uh, I hear this showing up around rent where landlords who haven't been reporting, uh, suites or that are, that they have renters are demanding that they be paid in cash. And yet yep. cash is now becoming a health risk. So the tenants yes. don't want to pay in cash. They want to use yep. the other means that are available. And yes. And if you're going to be subsidized by the government, um, for rent, They've 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 decreed at least in the province of British Columbia that the rent will be paid to the uh, to the landlord. the landlord. But if the landlord's not declaring it, then they won't let it come in that way, which means that that person can't get a rent subsidy. Yeah, and they're true. the ones who need the rent sub. Yeah, even more need the rent subsidy, right? Yeah. So that's a built-in. They've they've put it that way so that it can't be abused. But on the other hand. It creates another problem, mm-hmm. and and I think when you're at the low end of the rent scale, you're more likely to be living in a place where the rent isn't being declared, yeah. because that's the only way that they can keep the rent levels lower. Yeah. So it's not it's not the high end people, high end rentals that are not declaring. It's the low end rentals, which is where folk are living. Mm-hmm. Who need this? I thought it was most. very interesting because I applied for that for the BC uh, rentals, uh, yeah. the tenant subsidy, and yeah. they made it very uh, flexible for if you were a renter in something that was not a declared suite, if mm-hmm. you were having to pay cash, they mm-hmm. you were able to prove that you were paying rent through other means than you might normally use. But that doesn't change the fact that if the money is supposed to go into the landlord's account and how does the landlord manage that? Yes. And are they yes. now on the radar of CRA, etc.? It's so complicated. Yes. And, and who's to say that one agency within the government isn't sharing that information with another agency? Yeah. We don't know. 
So, you know, we're talking now about, about this, like, freedom of communication and the dance between things. And this feels like it's calling for your song now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so let's take a minute. We're going to listen to, well, we're going to take six minutes. We're going to okay. listen to the flower duet from Lacme. And it is sung by Dame Joan Sutherland and Leo Delibes. I believe, I hope I'm saying his name right. We hope we're saying it correctly. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Luca, do you want to tell everybody why you picked this song? This this is also referred to as the British Airways song. Because when you get onto a British Airways flight going somewhere, this is the, it, I, I don't know if it still is, because I haven't flown with them for many years now. But it used to be the song that was playing as you were getting on and stowing your hand luggage and all of that kind of stuff. And it always, it, it, it lifted me. I, I felt like the feeling that you get when you're taking off in a jet, that, that sense. And I always, I always loved it. And I thought, well, I wonder what that piece of music is. So I Googled British Airways song <laughs> and it's that it's called that all over the internet, the British Airways song, but it's actually from an opera. Mm-hmm. And this, this is the piece and it makes my heart swell and it makes me cry. And I have no idea why, but it sounds beautiful to me. So right. it's a good, good one for today. All right. We'll take a listen to that. We'll be back here to join you in just a few minutes.
Welcome back. You're listening to 90.1 CJSF. We were just listening to the flower duet from Lacme by Leo Delibes and Dame Joan Sutherland. Uh, you're listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. And we are in the last leg of our show for today. We thought, you know, it might be a good time for us to 
near the end of our conversation today, it's a good time to kind of take a step back. When we get like really deep into, here's all of our thoughts. It's like dumping what's in the contents of our purse out all over the table. Some of them are related. Some of them are not. We're just like, what is all in there anyways? But we want to take a step back and to see where is, where's the hope? Where's the hope in this? Where can we find our courage? Where can we ground in? What do you think, Luca? Where's the hope? Well, I think, I believe in, in the goodness of human nature, the basic goodness of human nature and our basic creativity and our delight in finding and solving problems. And so I, you know, when we look at, um, the radio station is closed down because the university is closed down and we, and we can't go in there right now. And all of us are out here busily creating radio anyway. Uh, and we're, we're learning technology to do it and we're, we're, we're hitting our stride around it now so that we're feeling more competent at it. And I think that that's true of society, that we will find new ways and that it has to do with what our intention is. And if our intention is to make our world better and to listen to the voices that we may have unintentionally marginalized and, and bring them into the conversation with us and do it with with as much consciousness as we can. I think we have potential here to come out on the other side of this virus um, with new systems and with a higher level of awareness and a higher sense of community. I feel like on a personal level, our window of hope is to continue doing that self-evaluation of, do I really need this? What can I reuse? What can I repurpose? Is this showing me a way that I want to change how I live going forward? What can I be doing that will enable that more, that will help me to stand my ground for what I know works better for me, for my family, for the environment that I live in? And what do I want my new world to look like? Mm -hmm. If we get to have a new world now, and if it can be the way we want it to be, how do we want it to be? Yeah, yeah. If we start from the personal and then we, we look, we look for ways to make that happen. Um, yeah. Um, we send you all blessings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you are tuning we, we've in. Kind of, we've quieted down a little bit. It's so we, we hope we send you out in there in the world <laughs> into, into feeling a little bit more peaceful with all of this. Yeah. Yeah, please swing by, uh, drop us a line. You can find us on Twitter at EssentialConv, that's spelled Essence, T-I-A-L-C-O-N-V, or you can find us on our Facebook page if you'd like to connect and leave us any thoughts. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, uh, we're very flexible right now. Well, we seek to continue to show up. We love joining you every week, uh, even though it looks a little different right now. This is still a big part of our life that we enjoy. Absolutely. And, and we have archives. If you're looking for something inspiring, we've got over 250 shows in our archives and they're all free. So feel free to dip in at essentialconversations.com. That's right. And until next week, I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer and Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahallux.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, 
happy, 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 boing, 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 bo